Experience the beauty and emotion of Lent and Easter with Christianity Today's newest devotional, Easter, in the everyday. Thoughtful readings from a variety of pastors, theologians, and writers invite you into the emotional stages of Christ's journey, from humility to hope to love. Beginning on Ash Wednesday and ending at Pentecost, this digital devotional is perfect for individual or group study. Get it today at orderct.com slash easter24. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here, and in association with my good friends at Preaching Today, Food for the Hungry, I bring you a podcast that hopefully helps you get better at the craft of preaching and teaching and communicating with the hope that your character will always lead the way. Today, I'm excited because I get to bring on my best friend, uh, Tommy Nixon. He is the CEO of Urban Youth Workers Institute. We went to college together. We were the best men in each other's weddings. Um, He's an incredible communicator, but he's leading an organization that is raising up youth workers all around the globe in urban contexts, and I've seen him lead, I've seen him teach, um, and he's remarkable. And you're going to hear just some some stats about really the the state of the church. And more importantly, you're going to learn how in a growing multicultural, multi-ethnic reality, how to craft messages, how to speak, how to engage a more diverse audience than ever before. Without further ado, the one, the only, Tommy Nixon. How you doing, man? What's up, my brother? That's the nicest thing I've ever heard you say about me. It's it, it, it's it like, been a long time coming, and and uh, yeah, I appreciate I appreciate that these, these people are going to hear that, and yeah. uh, it's you can like record it and just play it over and over, over and over again. Yeah. So um, I really wish what we have we would have recorded our best man speeches. Oh, and just really put out a poll and see which one was better. Which one was better. Yeah, um, that's right. That's right. Because mine was good. Uh, we'll see about that. We'll see. <laughs> I got a standing ovation, but it's uh, <laughs> All right. It's so good to be with you, man. <laughs> so um, for, for people who don't know, urban youth workers, uh, give a little bit of context, history, and really what the, the mission of the org is. Yeah, absolutely. So 30 years ago, our founder, Dr. Larry Acosta, started Urban Youth Workers Institute. And so what we do is we're a leadership development organization, and we do, um, we resource and develop um, youth workers, urban youth workers, so that urban youth have the role models they need to live transformed lives by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So um, and, and we do that in, in four different main, four main ways. We, we resource, we have resources like discipleship toolkits and, and leadership training that are all digital. We have certification program that is 13 months long. We have uh, coaching and we have networks all over the country. Um, and we also work with leaders all over the world as well. And so that's what we do. Um, but really the core of it is this, and this is why I think it's so important that, um, 
one that people understand. So if you're listening to this, you're a pastor, you're out there teaching, you're trying to give the gospel to um, to the world. I want you to understand this, that the world is increasingly, it's young, it's urban, and it's multi-ethnic. And um, what I mean by that is like 25, like those who are 25 under, it's like 42% of the global population. Um, in our country, 80% of people live in cities. And so that physical urban space. And then it's multi-ethnic. By 2045, uh, the majority in our country, guys that look like you and me, Steve, uh, we become the minority. But for those who are 20 and under, that already happened. Um, and actually in 2020, um, the majority of people who are 20 and under are now majority people of color. Not only that, but I would also want people to understand that urban culture is the cultural currency globally. Well, what do you, yeah, what do you mean by that when you say urban culture is the currency? Yeah, so so when you think about any like culturally, like everything that from from media to marketing to music to clothes to language to styles to all that, that globally is coming from an urban space. Um, and, and so our, the urban culture in the United States, have, we've exported that all over. And so I was in a good example. I was in Tel Aviv, right? I went to Israel, I went to the Holy Land. And these guys took us on a graffiti tour in Tel Aviv. And it, and it looked like graffiti that you'd find in the Bronx. Like it was amazing. They not only had the art, but they had the philosophy behind it. Um, I was in Spain with you uh, last year on the Camino. And we're in Spain and I see all these young, you know, high school students and they're all wearing dunks. They're all, they're all listening to hip hop music. They all, so that kind of cultural, that, that kind of culture has been exported and it's all over the world. And it's coming from that. I had a, I had a resource partner once tell me, they're like, yeah, but that's not true. What about those white kids in the Midwest? And I just said, take any one of their phones and look on their TikTok and every dance and song and you know, all the language, that's, that's all urban culture. So, so when I look at all those things and you see the demographics of that, um, and you're thinking about how do you communicate the gospel to this next generation? The other reality of that is 1.2 million young people are leaving the church every year. So you have, yeah, I just take all those things and I go, well, then who are the most important people that we can resource to see this next generation uh, come to know Jesus and, and, and receive the gospel and for the future of the church, and I would say it's urban youth workers, not the organization, but those who are coming from urban spaces, um, those who to who speak the language of that and can directly engage with this next generation um, to to preach the gospel. And so I think it's really important. So talk about that. That for when you and and you know, um, I serve on the board of urban youth workers, and so I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing. I, I think. When I look at these urban cities, you know, like you mentioned the Bronx, and, um, you know, you, you Chicago, um, you, you can start Oakland. You can start naming a bunch of cities across the globe that you guys are like really have these amazing networks of, of pastors. Talk about when you think about the sound, you know, like in, in, in hip hop, like there's a, there's a sound that the West Coast, there's sound in Chicago, there's a sound in the East Coast. When you think about the craft of communication, and again, if everything is is moving in this direction of multi-ethnic, um, urban, 
what what are you seeing from the sound of preaching in these urban youth spaces and urban youth sanctuaries that can translate to the pastor in the Midwest, to the pastor yeah. in Phoenix, to the pastor, <laughs> you know, in, in the East coast. What, what, what are there certain pieces that you're, you're sensing that you're like, man, this is the, if, if you can figure this out for your context, this could be really, really important. Yeah. I think there's two things, man. I think, uh, two elements, uh, as I would say, authenticity and pain. And so what I mean by that is the way we describe, the way that I define urban is this, is I define urban as a culture of shared suffering that's expressed through uh, language and clothes and dance and music and all that, right? And that's actually in the urban space, that's what usually brings us together. So it doesn't even, if, if, I'm, if I'm Latino or if I'm white or if I'm African-American, I'm black and I'm or wherever, wherever I'm coming from, and I come to the space, there's a common language that we all understand. And a lot of it has to do with the pain that we've experienced. And so, and, and in that sense, there's, there's this great connection to it. So if I'm offering things and I'm, I'm tapping into the pain and why the gospel is the answer to that, why Jesus actually confronts the realities of my life um, and the experiences that I've had, and that he's the answer to that, that comes off that that translates no matter what space you're in, like in an urban space, and that'll translate to this next generation. Okay, so I love that. I love the the authenticity. I love just the collective shared suffering. I think that is a beautiful definition of what it means to be urban. And and then I think about many of our churches, right? Yeah. So, um, one of the, the ways that we talk about um, Sundays. The, the that there are many Easter's right and I, and I, and and I think for for many of us in majority white spaces or mega churches or um, larger churches I'm saying larger than 200 there there's often a sense and, and this is never spoken of this is never said from the stage but but it's implied in it's so difficult out there in the news. And in the culture and in the world, let's just have an hour and 15 minutes of like joy and hope and juice. You know what I mean? Like it's like yeah. the digit juice, like it, like almost like an escape. And and I, I remember, you know, for, for you and I, we, we, you would always talk about this, you know, one, one of the, the key concepts of being a disciple is recognizing what suffering has to teach you. Dallas Willard talks about this in, oh, yeah. in, in the spiritual formation. But oftentimes our preaching is trying to dismiss our invitation into that collective shared suffering. Yeah. Do you sense that? Or am I just kind of like... No, I mean, I well, I, I think it's one of my... It, it's one of the things I wrestle with, um, with the, the, the institution at large. It's because, and I think that's, this is so, pastors, please hear me when I say this. This is a, a huge disconnect with this next generation. Is you, you have to remember when they were born. If they're born in and around 2008, like like global collapse, financial collapse, and then they're becoming adults in a global pandemic. And then we're in the worst political time that we've ever been in. There's the, We're in the most divisive time 
um, in my in my life in our country. There's and and the church has is at the forefront of that, and so they have a lot of ideas about that, what that means, and all that. And and then I just want to come up and and have this really happy, like hopeful, like no man, you know, it's all just just do this and just come and listen to our music, and I'm a really awesome speaker, and I'm just gonna make you laugh. Like they're literally looking for how am I supposed to survive in this world? But what they care about is they care about justice. They care about um, they care about real life. They care about loving their neighbor well. They care about and all the things they actually really want. Um, you know, their identity, belonging, their purpose is found in the gospel. And so we need communicators that can, in a sermon, can walk the line between. Let me be honest about what's really going on in the world. And then let me show you how Jesus actually fulfills that. And the authentic, authenticity piece is, and this is how it works out through my life. And so when you have those kind of those three elements, as I craft a sermon or as I go to speak to, to people, I'm always thinking about the crowd that's there. Um, and and I, I literally will change language. I'll change, but to make to make that, that connection happen. But I don't ever really change the authenticity, the way that it lives out through my life or the, the painful part of it. Because in our context, that is, that is so prevalent all the time. And so if you're going to reach this next generation, they're already experiencing it. Um, and they experience it all the time. And so if you don't bring it up, then it just feels like, like what you're talking about is not real. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, totally. I, and you know, I never give people questions before I do a podcast because I, I just want to see where the, what wants to happen, like where the yeah. conversation goes. I love what you just shared um, with, and with kind of the, when you're putting together a message and you're talking about, Hey, like in one sense, I got to talk about the way the world actually is. And I got I to gotta overlay what the gospel and the good news and Christ has to, and the kingdom of God has to, to, to say that, say about that. Um, and, and it's amazing because, you know, even uh, Jacob and that name in Hebrew meant deceiver. That's like, that's who he was. And he wrestles with God and God says, you know, finally for the first time ever, when he's asked what his name is, he doesn't try and say Esau. He says, I'm, I am a deceiver. I'm Jacob. That's me. And God says, no, no, your, your name is Israel, which means to struggle with God to struggle with each other. Yeah. And I, and I think in one of the senses of midrash, you know, the, the, the orthodox sense of diving into the text and, and understanding the way the world is, is, is a healthy struggle. And that's, that's something I've, I've always appreciated about your preaching is, and, and the way that you share is, is you, you don't back away from the struggle. It's like, um, in Talib Kweli language, there's a beautiful struggle. Like it, it, yeah, it, yeah. it can be like redemptive and seen. Here's what I want to ask you in view of all of that. Give me, give me, um, an example, an example of what if you were to say, Hey, recently I gave a message. And this is, this is in a sense of like what I was painting for these students, maybe around identity. I don't know, whatever topic you want to be. And then, and, and give people a sense, because I think for, for a lot of communicators, they're like, how do I say that in a way where I don't like lose this person or tick off this person or, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and again, like, I think, I think we also grew up in a time 
where nuance was king, right? And you were trying to always like, just trying to make sure everyone was happy to, to stay on the journey. But I think if you're going to lean into it, give us an example of how you do that. Um, yeah, no. Well, so um, one, one example that I can think of recently, I, I gave, I've given the sermon like twice and, and I was a guest speaker at, at two congregations. So one was in Long Beach. The other one was in Cleveland. Okay. And I, I get up and I basically, I'm sharing some of the stuff I shared with you guys on this. I'm like, this is, this is how the world's changed. And this is what, what's going on. And you got 1.2 million young people leaving the church. So I give them some information to make sure that they understand what's actually going on. And, and I, I say this to them. And, and I think that you're the answer to this problem. And everybody's like, oh, yes. And then I go, and I also think that you're the source of this problem. And, and in that moment, what, what's happening is, is, you know, it's, and I think you and I, we, we both love comedy and I've learned from, from comics, how, how you set people up and then you, you kind of take their legs out a little bit. And then, and then as I respond to that statement with laughter, right. And I, and then I'm, I'm like, how is that? You get a guest pe- preacher that comes up and, and, and offends the whole congregation that way. One of the best ways that I do it is you just are extremely honest about what you're trying to do. And then, and then I went from that place where I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm like, how's that for, right. I, I come and I offend you that way. Right. I'm smiling and there's a body language part to it. There's all that coming out from behind the pulpit. So they have, they're fully me. There's all these things that I think about and intentional about that. And then when I'm sitting there and I'm like, but here's the thing, we can change that. So you give, you give, you're, you know, you, you might wrap it in a little bit of honey, but don't, you know, you don't try to hedge it too much, but you share it and then you go, but there's hope. And so in a sense, that's almost like the punchline, right? It's like, oh, that's funny, but there's this, but there's hope. And then let me walk you through the scripture about how we do that. And, and, and then in that, I, when I'm trying to give a sermon like that, I'm also giving a lot of examples of myself of how did I, how did I walk through that? How did I come to that conclusion and how have I failed in it? And then, and then that way, it's not so much that like, look, I'm amazing. I've done all the work. It's your guys' fault and you just got to figure it out. I mean, that's cruel. So in that there's a past, this a pastoral part where I'm, I'm take, I'm in, inviting them on the journey that I've taken and I'm walking through in parallel to the reality of what I'm trying to call them to. And that, and through that, and so I do, I use a lot of humor, but that's my, that's a, that's a gifting of mine. That's a personality piece, but I'm also deeply authentic in the examples that I use. And I would caution people, especially as it becomes more multi-ethnic and you're trying to like, you have to either authentically be in that space, understand the cultural references um, and, and not try to, what you know, what a lot of people would say, co-opt that, you know, but like you used the Talib Kweli reference, right? Just a little bit ago. Um, but I know that you listen to Talib Kweli, <laughs> that you like hip hop, that you, right? Um, and dude, you're not from Detroit. You're not from, you know, uh, the Bronx, but you appreciate that. You've listened to it. You understand it. You, you appreciate the art. You've walked with people like so that can come out. So the more we enter into that, the more we can use those examples. Is that is that helpful? 
that that's really really helpful. That, that gets me thinking um, because I I think one of the ways that you do this is you can can really put your finger on the problem. Um, oftentimes when I when I'm coaching someone on communication or even writing, you know, one of the the easy ways to do this is what is the problem you're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. What is the premise that's going to attack that problem? And if people put that into practice, what's the promised benefit to their life or to the kingdom or to, you know, in your mind, 1.2 million people not leaving the church. Now let's talk about this from a lens of collective shared suffering. Mm -hmm. Because again, I think sometimes we don't know how to do that. A lot of Mm -hmm. us, we might know how to like have a, a, a moment of lip quiver, teary eyed on us in a sermon. Yeah. But a collective shared suffering um, that is authentic, yeah. that is real. Um, and I, and again, I'm not, I'm not looking for story hijacking, you know, co-opting, like you're talking about like, like, Oh, I just was yeah. over here and I could feel, but like, but there is something, you know, you and I just traveled to Guatemala together and we we walked through some some amazing neighborhoods and some really unique spaces and a lot of poverty, but the kingdom just bursting forth. But in a collective shared suffering, how do you sit with that, let it shape you and form you and speak from that where someone in the audience goes, man, he's done his work. Mm-hmm. That's real. You know what I mean? Not yeah. as a, he's, he's just saying certain things. What, what does that look like for you in practice and for so many urban youth workers? Um, because I think here, here, here's like a, a, a moment because I think for many of us, we didn't taste suffering. I think for some of us, um, and and then all of a sudden we did. But then there's a group of people who, man, for from the jump, whether the systems, the school systems, the the the, the opportunities, the neighborhoods where this became a part of their life and mm-hmm. it shaped them, but they they have joy in the midst of suffering. They 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 see the the hope in the midst of the the rubble and the pain. And and they can they can live in that tension. Whereas I think for, for some of us, we don't know that. And then COVID happens and that, that muscle, the division that you're talking about, that muscle, um, that the way the world is and it's changing and like that muscle hasn't been developed. Mm. And I think part of becoming a great communicator is really learning what that authenticity in the collective shared suffering and I don't know if many people know how to do that. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great question. And, and I would imagine a lot of the people listening are going, dude, like, how do I, how do I do that? How do I not like steal people's stories? How do I, and, and here's, here's what I would say. And it's not an easy answer. It is, I think we have to remember as Christ followers that we're called into compassion, which means to suffer with. And I think if you want to be a really amazing communicator, you learn how to suffer with people really well. Because even if you didn't grow up into it. So if you're listening to this and you're like, dude, I grew up like middle class, upper middle class. Like I grew up in a really nice space. Like, like my church is just, you know, we don't, not dealing with violence and all this stuff. Okay. Um, but you follow a God that then invites you into that through the world. 
And, and here's the thing is people are suffering in your congregation. And what does it look like for us to not, this is the character part of the craft. The character part is, are you actually joining in and suffering well with people? That takes a lot of time. That takes like, that, that takes energy. You can't do it with everybody, by the way, pastors. So don't try. Um, and, and it's not, it's also not, um, you know, going like, you know, even you mentioned the trip to Guatemala. It's also not just like that a trip to Guatemala should show us a king picture of the kingdom of, of Jesus and people, uh, suffering with each other well, so that we can come and like learn from them and then come and do that here. And so it's not just kind of like, you know, kind of tourist kind of trips, you know, but it's like, there are people that are suffering here. The more you can do that, the more you're going to connect with this next generation because you actually have real life examples, what it looks like for you to sit by the bedside of someone who's dying of cancer, of someone who's going through the divorce, of, of dealing with abuse and pain and, and those kind of things. Those are the great connectors for humanity is pain. And so if you don't fake the funk with that and you're not like, no, I know pain, but you really don't, then don't talk about it. The other part that I would encourage you guys, in, especially as, as, as this next generation is coming up, is that, you know, as you teach other people how to be communicators, teach them the craft of what you have, but, but you have young people that can come up and they have, they have, they're being shaped in the character and they have the stories. So allow them to share their stories. If you don't have the story, if you can't speak from that collective suffering space, I encourage you, find people to suffer with. God has put people in your way. But then you can also invite young people and, and other people, people of color in your spaces, people that are coming from these spaces of suffering and get help them with the craft of it. And then they can, through their character and their sharing, they can share the stories. And I think that's a beautiful way to actually involve people in to share authentic stories from that space. And I think it's good too. For, for, I think it's good too, for people to like, be honest about it. Be like, man, I, I didn't come up from there. You don't have to have shame about that, but you can definitely be honest about that. That goes a long way, man. Cause if you get up and you try to, like, I know there was a, a pastor that was here and he was talking about temptation. And the, the best example he had is when he walked past the donuts in the office. And so for all the people who are in the, in the congregation going, I'm struggling with like, addiction and porn and all this stuff. And like, dude, you only deal with wanting to eat donuts. Like that's tough to hear. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good, man. I, I, so I think that there's also these other pieces in the back of a lot of pastors minds, you know, it's, and, and, and I've, I've sat with therapists who, who work with pastors and some pastors, like I do all of my counseling on Mondays because I need as much time before the weekend comes. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I, and I think sometimes um, the fear of suffering with that level of compassion will overtake them in a moment and they, and, and they're, they've lost control. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, okay, I'm communicating and I, or I've lost control in that compassion and I can't fix it which is um, really helpful for pastors to have to realize they can't fix it like that. They can't, they can't just put a bow at the end of a sermon. Like this is, this is a life, a, a collective shared suffering. Anyways, 
But I think part of that prevents them from going there. And and really it's like a control piece, right? Mm -hmm. Because I got to control um, my energy because I got Sunday succumbing. I got to control my emotions because if I I let that, I got to control how deep I can go because, and, and so then what it does is it actually, you can be so formed in the craft, but let, and, and, and that will grow in power that will grow in potential narcissism, but you, but you're actually losing out on the empathy and the compassion and, and, and it feels slower because you're walking with, and, and I know you've, you've, you and I have chopped about this. So, so talk about that, because again, I think that's, there's a, that level of resistance. And I always think resistance is our friend, like not to run away from it, but like, how do you walk through that? Talk about that. Yeah. So, I mean, this goes to a deep, deep theology for me, actually. Um, and so I, I have a, I have a theology of suffering, which I know is not super um, popular, right? Especially for church growth. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, hey, we're going to talk about suffering, but here's, here's the deal is that I, I ask the question why a lot. So I go like, God, why did you call me into this work? Why do you want me to preach this? Why am I here? Like all these questions. When it comes to, I know it's pretty clear when Jesus talks about the least of these, or he calls us to, you know, like in Luke, where, you know, when he starts his ministry, um, he talks about, I've, I've come to release the prisoners that the, give sight to the blind. And and so he talks about this way, and then he models for us what it looks like to suffer with, to have compassion for people. So then we're called to do that too. But I ask the question, why? And why do I have to do this? And in my experience, what I've discovered is the, the why is not so that I save them or that they get saved. The why is not so because they're hurting. So I got to rescue hurting people. That's not the why, because if that was the why we'd burn out and we'd quit, which a lot of us have done. Right. And, or we we go, I don't have the energy or the bandwidth to do this because God has given me this. I got to preach on Sunday. Right. The reality though, of doing that actually is I, I suffer with people and God calls me to that so that I get in over my head. When I get in over my head, I, I realize exactly what he said. I can't save them. And as soon as I realize I can't save them, I run back to God. I'm like, God, I can't, I can't do this. I got to, right. I got to preach on Sunday. I got to do all this. I got to take care of my family. And God's sitting there and he's like, yes, I know that's the point. Because what suffering well with people is it's a cure to our independence from God. And if you as preachers and communicators really want to reach this next generation, if you really want to see people transform and come to your church and be discipled and all that, then you actually have to be living this stuff out. Because, and and here's the indictment on all of us. If you have 1.2 million young people, and if you're like, where's he getting this number from? If you go to the greatopportunity.org, they did, there's a whole study on it. So the great opportunity.org. But if you have 1.2 million young people that are leaving the church, these are people that grew up in our services, sang our songs. That that's a deep indictment on us. They're not buying what we're sharing. And that's also a wake up for us to go, we've actually got to embody and live this stuff out. So you can't just have the craft. You have to, and I that's why I love this podcast. You have to have the character of depth that hey, I actually walk with Jesus. And what suffering with people allows you to get back to 
the presence of God faster, or it should, right? Um, and that's where, when I was, Steve, when I was younger, I used to think maturity was how much I could carry for the Lord. <laughs> and now I realize as I'm older, no, maturity in Christ is how quick can I realize that I can't do it. So John 15 tells me, tells me I can do nothing apart from him. My problem is I just don't believe it. Yeah. And what I love about this next generation is they don't believe us because we didn't believe that. Yeah, that's good, so, man. Yeah, man. Good. Dallas Willard would often say that saints should burn through grace faster than sinners ever could. Mm. You know what I mean? It's just like, cause you, you, you get it. You need okay. it. You know, you understand it. Um, okay. So language is important and I love what you just, what you just talked about. And I want to just keep diving into this because I think it's really, really important. Um, you had this term way back and it was a CFR and it's like a context for a deeper relationship. And, and so when you, you kind of do this, this picture of, I, I need to be over my head. Yeah. I remember you teaching me and, and like this, this heartbeat of like missiology, like being on mission for the kingdom is all of this. Is it, a, is a context when you're in that moment, it's a context for a deeper relationship with Christ to understand what he suffered in the cross, you know? And, yeah. and another way to say that would be the cruciform life being shaped and formed as you learn to carry the cross. Most of us, we can teach that and tell our students or tell our congregation to, I mean, when it's really, really hard, like we, we're like, ah, you carry it. Like, I don't want to do it. But I think, you know, to Thomas Merton, you know, it's just all these different kind of, you know, streams had their different language. Merton would call it the contemplative activist, that the deeper you go in the presence in John 15 ought to send you out to want to go bear fruit. And then when you're out there bearing fruit and you realize you can't change what's happening in the city of Chicago, it ought to bring you back to the contemplative place to go to the, ask the why question, God, why? How long, oh Lord, to hear the psalmist? You know, so so again, there's all of these phrases. And as a pastor, you got to find what does that look like for your context, your city? Um, but that's CFR, the context for deeper relationship. And that was really, really, um, that, was, that really shaped me. Like I, there'd be these moments because I'd be like, why is this happening? Why is this? And then to go, well, why is it happening might not just be the, the right question. How is what's happening? Am I going to let happen in me to mm -hmm. shape and form me so that Christ can be shown more through me? Talk about the, the heartbeat of the CFR. Yeah, man. So the context for a relationship was really built around, well, like, so, and so as a beginning of, if you're on listening to this and you're like, okay, but how do I suffer with people? Well, you simply just, you, you either create or you join into something that, that brings you together. Right. And so it's just whatever that context is, if it's basketball, great, go play basketball. If it's coffee, if it's your love for whatever it is, like, okay, that brings you in. But the framework that you have for, for a CFR is this idea that God is up to something. And, and here's what I would, I would, you know, just caution um, all of the communicators listening to this, all the pastors listening to this. So often when we use the term ministry, we, you know, we think of this idea, it's static. 
So if if I'm sharing this this wisdom with you right now, Steve, I am like ministering to you, man. I am I'm getting you with the ministry, bro. I'm just getting, you know, I'm ministering to you, you know. And I think that's really weird because <laughs> then it, it sets us up in this really weird thing. I'm and which is it's almost inherent in the institution. I'm the pastor, you're the parishioner, I'm the whatever. Um, I'm saved, you're not, I'm you choose whatever, you know, I'm rich, you're poor, it doesn't matter. But when I realize that God's up to something and not only does he want to shape you through what he's doing through me, but he wants to shape me through you through what we're doing together. That's the CFR. That's like, okay, God's always up to something. And if you're not actually joining in and living out and you're just working on the craft of, of sharing Jesus things, you miss Jesus in the midst of that. And he warns us in scripture where he's like, you'll say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we like we did? We healed in your name. We did all these amazing things. Hey, Lord, Lord, I created a church and I gathered ten thousand people. And he goes, Yeah, but I never knew you. So this idea of like a context for for relationship is this idea that God's always up to something, and if you're not practicing the presence of God in and with other people, um, and you're not learning what it looks like to suffer with others well. Like that's our job as pastors. Yeah. But so many of us are so busy, so inundated, so worried, so burdened with, okay, what's this next Sunday? What's this next gathering going to look like? What's this? What's the money? Where's the money going to come from? Where's all the things that we actually forget the practice of it that then should fuel our craft, which is being communicators. Like, so I think we've taken our role as communicators too seriously and forgotten the the character part of it that and what is what shapes our character is the actual is the suffering part is the context for relation is the actual life on life like I'm walking with these people but it's tough when all of our when the institution and all the people that we're leading do we get the praise for giving really good sermons or giving great communication it's harder to get the praise for you know, in the quiet of your home and between you and your wife and your friends and your inner life, you're really solid with Jesus. Like, dude, no one's given that the ups on that. Why? Because it's a process and it's really difficult to do. Yeah. And But I'm telling you, if we want to reach this next generation, we need authentic leaders. I would rather, all of you listening, I'd rather you be less good at, at preaching and communicating and better at the character. Yes. Because... Yes. Because and here's here's I think the trick I think of I think the paradox of of this whole conversation is I actually think though that if you focused on the other your communication would be much better yes like I, I think it would be richer I think the Holy Spirit would work through it in ways that you haven't even experienced yet because we've been so focused on it and I think I think that when you get to that place then it has it almost has nothing to do with you mm. it people start going. Dude, what the heck just happened? And then you can point to, wasn't me. I spent so much time in the presence of God. You experienced the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit. And I got to be front row for that. And it also changed me. Yes, That's the dynamic process rather than the static, like, I got to get really good at this so I can do ministry to you rather than I'm joining in what God's just doing overall. And it's beautiful. So it's a real, really weightier way of saying how I, often will say 
we don't transfer information. We preach from a transformed place. Oh, but that, 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 that's, that's really good, Steve. You're yeah, gonna- yes. <laughs> no, but, but, but I think, I think the, the piece is like, well, what does a transformed life look like? What does a transformed place look like? You know? And I think it's, it, it takes that time where the character, where you open yourself up, you're vulnerable, authentic to the suffering that's around you. And then, and you're actually working towards mutual flourishing and not just, I know this great Greek word, and I'm just going to transfer that to get uh, like a, you know, an up from, I'm, I'm a great communicator, you know? Yeah. And so, so part of that is in there. Um, Tommy, there's so much I want to go with you. And, you know, I, I want to just go really briefly because you are, you are really, really funny. And it's one of uh, the <laughs> best parts about our, our friendship is uh, we can, we can just chop and it's, um, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. When you do communicate, um, you know, I've seen you actually be more comfortable utilizing your humor. I think for, for a while it was, um, yeah. and I, I got, I, like, I don't want to be just the funny guy, like yeah. but off stage, you were so funny, you know? And so like, but I've seen you al- allow that character piece and allow that embodiment of like, oh, Tommy's the same guy, whether in Guatemala or yeah. in the Bronx or just you and I chopping, you know, and, and talk about the importance of humor. And then also just, um, what you've had to learn about the use of humor in a teach. Yeah. So, um, I mean, for, for me, the, the use of humor, it's just been huge because, and I think Jesus did this. So I think Jesus was funny. Um, when he talks about the plank in his eye, I mean, as a carpenter, he's making a carpenter joke and, and that that's funny. You know what I mean? Or I think when he, I think when he names, when he names the, he gets nicknames, you know, and they have nicknames for the disciples. I think that's funny. You know what I mean? The sons of thunder. That's hilarious, dude. That's you know what I mean? Cause they're so loud. Right. And I think you understand with, I'm loud. So, uh, <laughs> and so yes. I think that stuff's funny. And so I just think it's a beautiful way and it's a very, honestly, it's a very urban way. Um, and I think, when I talk about the suffering piece, the reason why I use humor so much is you'll notice that um, the best art is usually comes from pain. Yeah. And I think that's with comedy as well. And so one of the ways, like when I was growing up, I grew up in the black community and we would play um, in some place they call the dozens. We called it bagging. We called it. So um, capping, like where you just make fun of each other and you just sit in circles and you just make jokes on the other person, right? They also go at junior high, but that's another thing. <laughs> Dude, so, but, and so I, you, you get into that space, but a lot of times the reason why we're all laughing about it is because you're either laughing or you're crying. Mm. Or you, you can't cry or carry the, the weight of poverty and violence and all that. You can't stay in that space all the time. So you got to have humor about it. And, and that's the, so, so out of that, out of that experience for me, that's why, why humor is so important and to connecting with people. Um, I have found it. So when I'm crafting something though, I always have to understand my, um, my audience and, um, and you have to understand culturally because white folks will take a joke differently um, than black folks, than Latinos. Then there's, there's very specific like cultural jokes that you can make that I'll make so that they know that I know that I'm from that place. You know what I mean? So, so I'll use humor um, for a couple of reasons. One, I'll use it to connect. So they're like, Oh dude, this dude's funny. 
Um, and he knows something like I'm dropping dimes. Like I'm like, Hey, I want you to know that I understand where you're coming from. Um, I'll use humor as well to deliver like difficult, um, you know, hard things. Right. I won't be goofy about that, but I'll, I'll use it in a way to, to lighten the, the, the hit on them so that they can actually hear what I'm saying. Mm. Um, and a lot of times that's, I use that a lot. Um, and then I also, I use humor as well. I, I use it as a well as a means of communicating humility. So self-deprecating humor to a certain degree can be really helpful at, at connecting an audience to you so that they know that, Hey, I'm just a regular guy. I'm a sinner as well. And, I, and I'm here as well. I don't think I'm better than you. Um, and here's why. And then I, you know, you're getting into the thing. Um, the only uh, thing I'd, I'd share on that part is don't, you don't want to do it so much that people cringe, that yeah. they start to feel bad for you. You want to do it in a way where you're still confident, but you're like, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm not all that. I get it. Yeah. So a lot of ways, that's how I, that's how I use humor. And I think it's a really important part. And I think it's an important part in connecting with this next generation, especially in an urban and ethnic space. Yeah. Because you can't, you, right. Like, like what I said, like you either, you either, you either crying or you're laughing. And and I think a beautiful sermon takes you on a journey of both. Yeah. Well, two two pieces on this, and and communicators, I want you to, I want you to think about this. Oftentimes, we're very very intentional with our introduction. Uh, you heard even earlier in the the podcast, Tommy talking about the intentionality of I'll step uh, away from the the pulpit and let people see my whole body. That's that's a you know a blocking kind of posture to let people see all of you, not have any barriers. But oftentimes the the only level of intentionality that we have with humor is I just need a lift because I've just bored them with four minutes of like, you know, ancient Near East culture and I need like something to lift. But the the level of intentionality to think, is this the moment for a self-deprecating kind of joke? Is this the kind of moment for this level of intention? That's what you do really well. And to be able to understand and read the moment. So um, this is probably one of my favorite ones, most recent with you, Tommy. So we are in Guatemala with Food for the Hungry, and we're in this um, we're in this like medical um, facility in a village five and a half hours from Guatemala City in a Mayan in, village. In a Mayan village, yeah. And it's all led by these volunteer women, and it's just amazing. It's just incredible. So. Typically, like you walk into these spaces, they, they've they prepared a presentation. But one of the things that you do is you you introduce yourself and, you know, and, and, and say what you are and what you do. And, 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 and so people go around and, you know, one pastor says their name and what they do. Another pastor says their name, what they do. Another pastor says, and, and it gets to this point, everyone's like waves and, oh, yes, you know, hi, hi, hi. And then it comes to Tommy. And Tommy, what do you say? Well, dude, before that, I said, there's a lady there. You got to give some context, brother. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to set you up. Okay. I appreciate yes. you, man. So I say, in Spanish, I say, my name is Tommy, but in reality, my name is the king. And then, and they, they think that's funny. And then I said, no, nah, I'm just kidding around. My name's actually El Guapo. You can call me El Guapo, which means like the handsome, right? <laughs> like the good looking guy. And they do those ladies fell out. Yeah. And you and you said this in Spanish. 
So yeah, like yeah. in all of that, what he said, like, cause he, you know, he, he spent so many years, he and his family living in predominantly Latino neighborhood. And like, he, he just had this, <laughs> you, you just watched these older women just look at him like he was their son. And then oh, at the end, at the end, everyone was like, um, you know, and they're like taking pictures and I'm just sitting there going, oh my goodness. And, and, and the whole joke is Tommy's not good looking. Yeah. I know. I know you're listening to this. I got a radio face. And so, uh, so, so like he just, he was the, and he kept saying this, like the joke is like, I'm not good looking, but yeah. like, and, but like all it just, and and it was the right kind of self-deprecating at the right moment. Yeah. The and and it just what it did was it connected. And and I love Maxwell. Maxwell says like everyone communicates, few connect, right? Yeah. And and few few have that ability to draw people in. But here's the second piece I want you to understand. And I didn't believe this. I didn't believe this for many many years. But a a mentor of mine told me the degree at which you move towards collective shared suffering to the degree that you embrace the pain and the struggle to the degree that you can hold space for the hurting and the wounded and, 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 the, and understand what you can do and what you can't do. To that degree. And think of like, if you're, if wherever you are, if you, you know, you're in Iowa city, like if you're like your familiar position, your homeostasis is a zero. And if you were to go towards pain and it, maybe it's like four clicks towards the suffering, then on the opposite side, when it comes to true laughter and joy, and you can only go to a four. And my, I remember my mentor saying this. I'm like, that's, there's no way that's true. But the harder you can actually cry and get in touch with that sensitive suffering and that collective shared suffering, on the other side, to the same degree of laughter and joy. And, and I just, I, what I've found, and you, you, you mentioned that, like the, you're either crying or you're laughing, but yeah. you've been able to model going to a negative 10 and to a plus 10 and holding both. And that creates a range, but you know what it really creates? A sense of safety mm. and all, and, 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 and a safety in I can laugh or safety in like, oh, he understands. A safety in, you know, we, we, when we were in Guatemala with Food for the Hungry, we were with this, this woman, Julie, and she just had that ability to like in yeah, just holding awesome. space. And you just were like, oh, she's safe. She's safe, yeah. you know, and, and that just, that does something. And for communicators to embody that, that's mm. that character piece, dude, it's, it changes you, you know? So tell me, um, two more things before we wrap yeah. up, let's talk about character. Cause that's, a, that is a huge piece. What, what what's important for you um, that you need in your life to ensure that your character leads the way? Man, you know, that's a really good one. I There's a spiritual practice that I practice that has helped me get to the space. And then I'll answer like, what then what do I need now? Um, so early on, man, I, I think even in high school, um, I really um, 
I didn't have this language back then, but I use it now where I had this, uh, this want and ability to confront my own hypocrisy. And that, and that has been like, um, to, to root out any of my character issues. I've continued to go, okay, I believe this, or this is my value. I don't actually live that up. And so, and then I invite other people. I think I've invited you at times in my life to go, Hey, like, where am I messing up? Where, like, how can I be better at to my staff? I'm like, Hey, how can I be a better leader here? Or what's difficult about working with me? Like, these are really hard questions, but that, that goes, okay, great. And what it does friends is I know it's really scary, but when you do that with people, they give you a lot more grace because at least they know that, you know, you know what I mean? Like, so they're not, they're not like, Oh, dude, this guy's like the worst, but anybody has to pretend because you're the lead pastor or whatever. But if you go, Hey, I know, this is a, an issue for me. Here's what I'm trying to do to mitigate it. Like, here's what I'm doing about it. And, and I've, I've consistently done that for 30 years. Now, as I've done that practice, um, the backside of that character piece, and I think this is really important for, for all of you guys to hear, is that as I get older, my capacity has changed and it's moved in different areas. And I'm finding that I need a lot more time to give myself space, to, to rest, to, um, to push into the presence of God, to have good boundaries, to say no, because um, the amount of responsibility I carry, um, I, I need more fruit of the spirit. Like I need the time to actually sit in that more and to, to have enough to breathe so that I don't fly off the handle. My, like if you follow the Enneagram or, if you think that's evil, I don't know. But uh, if you follow the Enneagram, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. And so um, anger is like always like it's a deep part of just who I am. And so I've had to work really hard over the years to mitigate that. But if I'm not rested, if I'm not, if I don't have enough margin in my life, dude, um, and I'm still trying to just charge everything, you say something sideways to me. And, and this ugly false self of Tommy's going to come out. And that's, those are the leader. Those are the character leaks that I, that I use as a barometer to go, man, like why? Like the other day I was driving and somebody drove a certain way. And dude, I, the things that came out of my mouth, I'm like, I literally stopped. I was like, dude, what is going on with me? I I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling like overburdened. I, I need space. And so I, that's, I mean, there's a lot of things I do. I have a really clear like rhythm of my life that I lead by so that I have that space and that I'm dialed into God and, and I'm saying no all the time, but that's really the core space for me, especially in this time of life. I have five children ages 16 to all the way to five. I run a national and international nonprofit. You know what I mean? I, I, there's a lot of things I'm doing. I used to be a pastor for I planted a church. I, I, those were one of the things I had to say no to and, and I had to pass that leadership on. And so, and so making those hard decisions, I think gives me the space to then, to then deal with the emotional amount of energy it takes for me to ask myself, where am I a hypocrite? Where am I not doing well? What do I need to deal with eternally in my healing and the trauma and the, all the things you actually need space and time for that. And if you don't deal with that stuff, it will come out like, like Steve's, you know, experienced that in really deep and ugly ways. Like 
sure a lot of you guys have, so many pastors have experienced difficult church hurt. And if you don't want to be that guy, like you got to give yourself space to deal with that stuff. That's what I would say. I love that, bro. I think the space to attack the hypocrisy or, you know, hypocrisy is just where we act. I mean, so the space to attack where we act. And, and I think to think about that, um, and, and really begin to, to process and, and figure out what's the next best right step. Um, Tommy, thank you just for sharing. And I, I think, okay. man, you, you gave us a ton to think about. Uh, one of the, the, the pieces that I, I wanted to really um, do is, I think that there's some people who are like, okay, 1.2 million urban youth, all of this stuff, like, you just need to learn more. I'm going to learn more about what urban youth workers is doing. Yeah. Um, I wanted to like kind of pull together just any of our listeners. And this would be like the first time we've ever done anything like this. It, it might be an epic fail. I think you're all going to show out. But like what we wanted to do on July 23rd, it's a Sunday night. It's 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. So 5 p.m. On, on the West Coast, 6 p.m. in the Mountain Standard, 8 p.m. In, on the East Coast. Um Tommy and I are just going to host a conversation and it's, it's going to give you a chance just to engage, ask questions, um, and to actually learn more about what urban youth workers Institute is doing. And I think, um, this could be an amazing kind of learning, um, amazing opportunity for you to go like, Oh, wow. Like that, that's a little like 201, 301 from what we talked about today. And, and maybe there's some, some opportunities for, um, some real engagement out of it. And they've, they'll have some, some amazing things to share. Um, where you can find information about that, you'll, I'll, I'll be posting about it on my social media, um, at Steve Brian Carter on Instagram. Um, also crafting characters, uh, Instagram. We'll have it in the show notes as well. Um, but Tommy, um, talk about where they can find you and your org. Yeah. So, I mean, if you go check out, it's like the worst acronym ever, but it's U-Y-W-I.org. Ooh-wee. Ooh-wee. It's like, <laughs> it's like Snoop Dogg, but uh, <laughs> so U-Y-W-I.org. There's a ton of free um, resources on there. Go check that out. You can also follow us um, on, on any socials with U-Y-W-I. Um, and then you can follow me, Tommy, U-Y-W-Y. Um, on socials and uh, check it out. We have a ton of podcasts and things like that. If, you, if you're if you interested in the things that we're talking about, we have a whole podcast called The Radical Middle um, that I host that we'd love for you guys to check out as well. And so, yeah, you'll find information there and then we'll be putting it out um, on all of our uh, channels as well. And it'll be good, man. And you can also go to TommyNixon.org. You'll learn a lot more about uh, who Tommy is and, and some of the stuff that he's doing, whether coaching leaders and um, speaking, teaching and stuff. He's, he's fantastic. So um, without further ado, friends, thank you. Thanks for um, going on this journey with us. Um, I, I really want you to think about what does it look like for you this week to suffer with, to actually showcase and embody compassion. I, I, I imagine for many of us, um, it's, there's going to be a little bit of resistance, but I would, I would just invite you to ask the Lord about it and see it as one of those CFRs, a context for deeper relationship. And the more that you can enter in, the more authentic and the more compassion, the more empathy, and truly the more character that's going to actually rise up within you. And I totally agree with Tommy. 
the more compelling your messages will actually be. And that's what I'm praying. Yes, I want you to get better as a teacher. I always want your character to lead the way. Much love, everyone. Grace and peace. And we'll see you on the 23rd. And we'll see you again. Take care. Take care.